Good evening. Time to start our Thursday night Bible study in Hosea. This will be the second day of teaching from home because I have officially got notification of COVID. So let's begin with our study. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to go preach and listen. Hopefully people are going to get much out of this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hosea chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people, for you have gone a whoring from their, from your God. You have, you have loved the reward upon every corn floor. The floor and the wine press shall not feed them, and the new wine shall not fail in her, shall fail in her. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, neither shall they be pleasing unto him. Their sacrifice shall be unto them as the bread of mourners. All that eat thereof shall be polluted, for their bread and their, for their soul shall not come into the house of the Lord. What will you do in the solemn day and in the day of the feast of the, God, of the Lord? For lo, they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up, Memphis shall bury them. The pleasant places for their silver, nettles shall possess them, thorns shall be in their tabernacles. The days of visitation are come, and the days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool, the spiritual man is mad, for the multitude of your iniquity and the great hatred. So, all right, we're going to stop there and just look at what it says here. It says in this to start with, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people. For you have gone whoring from your God. You have loved the, re the reward upon every corn floor. This is kind of an interesting statement because God is still putting in judgments, statements against Israel. And remember, we've been talking about this. Israel right now is at a time of prosperity. Everything looks good. They think they're doing well, and they do not see that disobedience to God has hurt them, and therefore they're doing everything against God. And it's using strong language. You have hoard against God. And this is very strong language. He says you're paying others for the love that God wants to give them. And God deeply loves them and wants them wants them back, just as he wants all of us back. And God loves his people even when we fail. And he says that they love temporal things and prosperity. He says that you have loved the reward upon every corn floor. A reward here is the word for the payment to a prostitute. And he says you're looking for the payment of a prostitute upon every corn floor, the threshing floor. And this is a very strong language. They're looking for the prosperity, and they're saying, we have everything we need. We don't need God. And this is the way the world is so often that they go, we do not need God. God is not something we need, and we don't see the value in him. Matter of fact, we're not even sure that there is a God, is what the world would be saying. And we sometimes follow in that same activity and fall into that same pattern of showing that we don't believe God. And here Israel is being rebuked because of that. In verse 2 it says, The, the, floor, the floor and the winepress shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. And here we have a picture of their prosperity that they're trusting in is not going to meet their needs. They're not going to be satisfied. 
The woman is going to disappoint them. She'll disappoint her. Everything that they think in their sinful lifestyle, where they think they're doing good and everything's going good for them, they're going to eventually find that it does not meet their needs. And this is true of even for us. When we go into a sinful lifestyle, we find out that that sinful lifestyle does not give us what we want. People think, you know, just get whatever it is that they're trying to get, I'll be happy. And if you're not looking for God and you're not seeking him for your pleasure, then you will never be happy with anything that you will get. It says, they shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt. They shall eat unclean things in Assyria. They shall not dwell in the, in the land of the Lord. In Deuteronomy 30, verses 17 through 18, God said that if you do not hear my voice, you will not keep the land given to you. In Deuteronomy 8, 19 through 20, God says that you will perish for not keeping the rules. All of this is so important that they did not understand. They disobeyed God, and God said, you will be punished. And we see here that they tried to go back to Egypt for help. Now, this can be taken in two different ways. One thing we know from Jeremiah is that many of them tried to get to Egypt, and Egypt did not give them what they wanted. Now, Egypt is also the idea of returning to the world. And do we want to return to the world and try to get our satisfaction in the world after we've known God? Hopefully the answer is no. But God will not allow his people to return back to the world. He will bring judgment upon them, bring discipline upon us, trying to get us back to him. And that is what God's discipline is always about. His, his discipline is to draw us back to him as we're drawing away from him. So we start moving away from him into sin and forgetting him, not, not truly paying attention to him with our heart, mind, soul, and body. And God says, I am going to bring discipline. And this is so important. Discipline is designed to draw us back. Discipline is always to, to, with the idea of getting us to come back to the right way of doing things. And discipline has to be set up in such a way that it's painful enough that we don't want to disobey again because the discipline should lead us to not want to disobey. And then he says, They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, neither shall they be pleasing unto him. Their sacrifice shall be unto them as the bread of mourners. All that eat thereof shall be polluted, and their bread for their soul shall not come into the house of the Lord. Here we have a beautiful picture of God telling us that he desires obedience rather than sacrifice, just as he said in many different places. God is not looking for traditions. He's not looking for following rules. He is looking for love and obedience to him. When Sam, Samuel went to Saul after the battle with the Amalekites, Saul had kept the king alive and much of the uh, animals. And he said, well, I kept him, we kept him for sacrifice. We did all of this. We obeyed God. And, and Samuel's answer to him was, God desires obedience more than sacrifice. And this is given many times in the scriptures. God wants heartfelt obedience, not just looking to him and trying to find out traditions and rules. In Jesus' days, the Pharisees had all kinds of rules. They were very strong on their rules. They were very 
keeping the rules and, and thinking they were doing good because they honored God's rules. Their hearts were far from God, and, and Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers, vipers, just as John the Baptist did. And all of these things, he says, they are not following God. He told the people, you need to be more righteous than the Pharisees and the scribes, which means to totally seek after God with all of our heart. And here it says, they're going to go out and give their sacrifices, and God is not going to accept them. He's not going to get them. He's looking. And he says, their bread for their soul shall not come into the house of the Lord. Their very sacrifices, because they were polluted, they weren't out of true worship, were rejected by God and did not bring the pleasure people wanted, did not bring the comfort people wanted, because all they were doing was following traditions and rules. God said, bring a sacrifice. They brought a sacrifice. And then the next day, they were worshiping at their idol and giving the sacrifice to their idol. And then the next time it was time to give God a sacrifice, they'd bring a sacrifice to him because that's what the rules said. And God says, I am not pleased with that kind of system. And then it says, what will you do in the solemn day, in the day of the feast of the Lord? Here's a rhetorical question. What are you going to do when it's time to give a sacrifice? What are you going to do during the feast days? How are you going to respond to God when he is not accepting your sacrifices? And it says, for lo, they are gone because of, the, of destruction. Egypt will gather them up. Memphis will bury them. The pleasant places for their silver nettles shall possess them, and thorns shall be in their tabernacles. He says, when you make it to Egypt, you're going to read destruction. When you get to Memphis, a big city in, in Egypt, you will be buried by that city. And then he goes, your pleasant places for your silver nettles, thorns, and thistles will be covering in them. And he goes, your tabernacles shall be filled with thorns. God is saying that all your developed areas, all these things that you have trust in, everything that you have put your faith in is going to be destroyed. And given enough time, the wild will take over anything that has been built up and, and, and looked over. And God says, all that you put your hope in, all that you put your strength in, all that you're going to look at for developing your life is going to be nothing but wasteland. And so here we see a really hard statement to them. And then God says in verse 6, The days of visitation are come, the day of their convention are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool, the spiritual man is mad, the multitude of their iniquity, and the great hatred. So here he says, your judgment is coming, your recompense is coming. You, what you have asked for, what you have earned is coming your way. And this has been a hard time for Hosea. He's prophesying that God's judgment is coming. And the people are looking around and saying, Hosea, you are a nut. Look at all this blessings that we're having. There is no problems right now. We have wealth. Our barns are filled. Our cows, our goats, our sheep are all growing and flocks are growing. There is something wrong with you, and you don't know it. And he goes, destruction is coming. And this is what ends up happening. God moves at an unexpected time in our life to say something is going to happen. And he goes, the recompense is coming. And it says, the prophet is a fool. And the word here indicates that is a false prophet, is a fool. One that is not believing God. One is not seeking after God. 
And this is a very big problem. And it says they despise wisdom. A spiritual man is a fool, and a fool is one that despises wisdom. This is the prophets of all the idols that are out there that do not believe in God. They reject the wisdom of God and do not believe in the life that God gives. And he says, the spiritual man is mad for the multitude of your iniquity and the great hatred. He says, spiritual people. In this case, it's not talking about true spiritual people, but those that are following after their own ways. They call themselves spiritual. They will do good works. They will do all kinds of tradition. They will follow after traditions of men. And God says that they will be made mad because of the multitude of their iniquity. Their sin still comes in and they know that they've got a problem. And this is the problem with mankind is that man knows that they're sinners. Man knows that they're disobedient. Man knows that they cannot please the deity that they're trying to please. And it will drive them insane. And it will drive them, if they're not toward God, it will drive them to deeper and deeper sin trying to find whatever it might be that will get them happiness and joy. And men will seek after their own ways to, rather than turn to God. And this is the beauty of the message of God. The gospel is really simple. We are sinners. We owe a debt that we cannot pay. Jesus came to this world in, as God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died for our sins to pay our sin debt, was buried and resurrected, and we now have the Holy Spirit able to live in us because God can forgive us because the sin debt is paid. He paid the debt that we owed and could not pay. God paid that debt. And so many people will look and say, oh, that is too simple. I just can't trust God to do this because what is my part in it? And this is the, the pride that human beings have that they will not give up their life to trust God. And God says they're going to be driven in mad by the multitude of their iniquity and the great hatred. Hatred is something that comes natural to mankind. We love because God first loved us, and when we learn to love, everything in our life changes. We're able to forgive people. We're not, we're not looking for revenge to, on people's lives. And we're able to just sit back and we do not have this hatred. Hatred is a sign that we have trouble with the relationship with God because if we really loved God, then his love would come out to others. And so this is a problem. And he says, the fools, the ones that are following traditions have great iniquity and great hatred. They will say, you're not following the rules. I'm better than you are, and you are awful and terrible, and they will judge you because of your lack of following what they think are the important rules. And God says, just love me. Let my spirit live in you and change you. From the inside out, God changes us. We do not sit around struggling to be made perfect. We do not sit around struggling to get rid of sin in our life. We let God crucify us and get rid of the sin in our lives so that we can follow through and act out the way he wants us to act out. Verse 8 says, The watchman of, of Ephraim was with my God, but the prophet is a snare of a fowler in all his ways and hatred in the house of the, his God. 
They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the day of Gibeah. Therefore, he will remember their iniquity. He will visit their sin. We found Israel like found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I was I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time, but they went to Baal Beor and separated themselves unto the unto that shame and their abomination. Were abounding were were regarding as they loved. As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird from the birth and from the womb and from the conception. Though they bring their children, yet will I bereave others, bereave them, that they shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them that when I desert them. Ephraim, as I, as I saw Tyre, was, is planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. All right, so here we see God saying the watchmen, the true watchmen, are with God. These would be the prophets such as Hosea and others that are preaching God's message, speaking out. The watchman is to look out over the city, is to watch out for trials coming and to speak the truth, even if people don't like it. And these are what the prophets did. They spoke God's meaning, even when the people did not like the words. And oftentimes they paid with their own lives and or freedoms. And here it says, the watchman of Ephraim was with God, but the prophet is a snare to the fowler. And again, this is the idea of the false prophet. He's a snare. He's teaching people the wrong ways. He's teaching them to trust in themselves, to, to seek after the traditions, to look at how they can help save themselves. And then it says, the hatred in, and hatred in the house of his God. So these prophets are teaching hatred toward God. They're not teaching his ways and leading people astray. We always have to be careful of what we are listening to. I'm not saying that we can't listen to other teachers and prophets, but we need to be careful. What are they saying? Is it biblical? Is it true? Always ask God to lead you to the right teachers. There are many teachers, some of which I really like, but I don't agree with them 100%, and I have to be wary when I listen to them. And I hope that's true for me. Don't listen and believe things just because I say it. Know what the Holy Spirit is teaching you. Know why you believe what you believe and follow God in all, all of your strength and seek out what God is looking for. Then he says, They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. Therefore, he will remember their iniquity and he will visit their sins. Now, this is something that you need to understand what Gibeah is. Gibeah is in Judges 19, 12 through 30. And we have the picture of the story of a Levite traveling with his concubine, and he decides to go to stay in the city of Gibeah. He's in the, he settled down for the night because nobody would take them in. And just before nightfall, an older gentleman takes them into his house because he knows that they cannot sleep in the outside. Meanwhile, what ends up happening is the, the men of the city compounding on this man's door, demanding that the Levite be sent out to them so they can know him. We're looking at homosexuality in a city of Israel. 
and this is way back in the time of the judges, and they are not happy with not getting the man, but eventually the Levite sends out his concubine to the people, and they abuse her and use her all night long, and she comes calling back to the door at daybreak and dies. And this is what God is saying. You know, he is likening the people of Israel to those homosexual, violent men of Gibeah. The results of, the, of what happened in Gibeah, if you go into chapter 20, is that the Levite cut up the body into 12 pieces, 12 pieces, sent it all out to Israel, and Israel then attacks the, the people of that town, and because they are from this, from this tribe of Benjamin, they get protected by Benjamites, and Benjamin is almost totally wiped out. And there's a lot that goes on in that story that, that God builds into them. But Benjamin is almost wiped out because they protected the sin of that city. We want to be careful about this whole situation. When there is sin, we need to be able to say it is sin. We do not want to see and follow through all of this process and try to protect sin because God will visit the sin, just as he says here. He will visit judgment and discipline upon that sin because he cannot let sin go unpunished. It may seem like it in our day, in our world, that sin gets unpunished, but God does not close out his books until the end. We will usually face judgment in this lifetime. So will the lost. They will face judgment in this lifetime, even though we may not always see it completely. But ultimately, when they stand before God at the white throne judgment, they will be punished, and hell will be their final destination at that time. Nobody gets away with sin completely. We as Christians, when we sin, God disciplines us. He chastises us, and there's a period of lost rewards because we are not following in the ways of God. And this is all about what God has left us. Then he says in verse 10, And I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame and their abomination were according as they loved. So he's talking here that he says, I saw Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I blessed them. I gave them great blessings. None of those men were perfect, but they sought God. Abraham, everywhere he went, he would build an altar to God. And he was quite a scoundrel in some ways as well. He was had a problem with telling the truth, but God loved him and saw him as a friend. And Isaac, we don't have a lot of bad things heard about Isaac, or a lot of good things. Isaac was Isaac. And then we have Jacob or Israel. He was quite a scoundrel, and God had to really get hold of his life. But when God got hold of him, he looked to seek after God and follow him, and looked at, toward him. And then he says, And, but... They went to Baal Beor and separated themselves to, to unto that shame and abomination were according to what they loved. Baal Beor is a god of the Canaanites, and God calls him shameful and abominable. 
we looking at history that the worship of Baal Beor involved child sacrifice, just as any most of them did. He also had a worship by licentious acts, in other words, uh, sexual activity in his worship. And God says, you're worshiping that God contrary to what I have asked. God said, there shall have no other gods before me. And these people constantly sacrifice ch their children to these gods. And we do the same thing in our day and age. We have people who will sacrifice them literally through abortion because they want pleasure and unfettered life. We will have people that will sacrifice them in a more subjective way when by giving themselves completely over to work and activities and totally forget about their kids and their kids are grown and they don't even realize how old their kids are and how much their kids love, how much of it they have missed. And here we see all that's going on and God says, you have rejected me for shameful and abominable activities. And this is the problem that we have when we reject God and turn away from him. And then he says, as for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird from the birth and from the womb and from the conception. So here we have a phrase, fly away like the bird, which means that it is quick loss. And then he goes, not, you, will, you will have a quick loss from birth. Miscarriages, abortions, they will, they will lose their children before they're even born. And then he says, and from the womb. So, excuse me, this would be their abortions. The other one was at birth, they could lose them. And then he says, and from conception, that you won't even be able to conceive children. And this happens so often in these downward spirals. People do not even conceive children. God does not want to see children raised in ungodly households and start to be able to put in a abandonment of that. And God says, all of this is going on for you. And he says in verse 12, though they bring them up, their children, yet will I bereave them that they shall not be a man left. Woe also to them when I depart from them. So here we have the situation where God says, even if you have children, I'm going to take them away from you. And you will be bereaved. They will die. They will be taken into captivity. And God says, there shall not be a man left. And then it says, woe to them also when I depart from them. Nothing is worse than having God say, I am done. You're not following me. You're not looking at me. I am departed. I will not try anymore to reach you because you have rejected me for the last time. God's faithfulness means that he will keep working on this for a long time, but it also has a problem with it that God says there is a point where he says, I am done. You're not responding. You're not going to respond. And I am departing. And then you get to live in miserable misery for the rest of that time because you there is no hope without God. We will never be satisfied until we come to God and worship him in spirit and truth. And then he comes and fills us and he fills that void in our life that only he can fill. Nothing in this world can fill the void that God is designed to be filled because God is infinite and he has an infinite sized hole in our life when he's not there. And no amount of sin, no amount of good works, no amount of seeking and 
and, and looking for something is going to fill that void because it needs to be filled by God and God alone. And this is the beauty of what it is. And we do not want to get to the place where God departs. And we will never know when that point is. The people will know that God has departed from them. But we, our job as Christians is to keep telling people about the salvation message and let God get another chance and another chance and another chance. He knows whether they're going to respond or not, but he will still reach out his hand and saying, I'm giving you another chance. When people stand at the white throne judgment, they will see every chance that God gave them to be his. They will be standing in their own righteousness, which will not be good enough to get into heaven because Isaiah tells us that all our righteousness is filthy rags and they will be looking at it and God will say, and you're not good enough, but here is every chance, here is every time you heard the gospel message and they will find that they heard the gospel message so many more times than they thought they had because they turned a hard heart toward God and did not pay attention to it. And God will say, I gave you every opportunity. I gave it to you over and over again, and you rejected me. And then in verse 13, Ephraim, as I saw Tyre, is planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim shall bring forth her children to the murderer. Ephraim was in a good place. God is allowing blessings to come their way, even though they're being disobedient. And God says, but all of this is going to lead to destruction. Your children are going to go and die because of where you're at. This is a pretty harsh picture, and yet it is what God is saying to his people. Turn to me for freedom and for liberty. Do not try to turn to the world. Do not turn to your own ways and be looking for all that you need in other places. God says, I am the only one that can supply your need. And he promises us that he will supply all our needs according to his glory and mercy. And this is the beautiful thing that we have. God meets our needs. Verse 14, give them, O Lord, what will you give them? Give them a rise a miscarriage, carrying womb, and dry breast. All their wickedness is in Gilead, for there I hated them for the wickedness of their doings. I will drive them out of, of mine house. I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. Ephraim is smitten. Their root is dried up, and they bear no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay even the beloved fruit of their womb. My God will cast them away because they did not hearken unto him. They shall be as wanderers among the nations. So here's what he's saying. Give them, O Lord, what will you give them? And this is the prayer that Hosea is looking at. He's saying, God, what are you going to do to this people? You're saying now that you don't love them. What are you going to give them? And he says, give them a miscarrying womb and dry breast. In other words, no children no newness of life and this is a sad place to be when nothing is going to go your way and judgment follows and god says no more no more joy no more new life you're going to have nothing it says all their wickedness is in gilead 
For there I hated them for the wickedness of their doings. I will drive them out of mine house, and I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. So here we have the picture of Gilead. Gilead's quite an interesting place. It's the city where Joshua first went into to, to camp. It's the place where the tabernacles resided for a long time. Lots of good things happened there. This is where they worshipped God for a long time. But toward the end days, we see God saying that Gilead is wicked. Hosea 12.11 says the same thing. Amos 4.4 4 says the same thing, that wickedness and evil dwells in Gilead. It is awful for a place to fall from a high place with God into great wickedness. And God says, it's gotten so bad that I hate Gilead. What was happening there? People were still worshiping God. They were still looking to offer sacrifice, only doing it in their strength. They were only doing it in a way that was not honoring to God. And God is saying, I do not accept this sacrifice. They are living in evil. They are doing evil. They are following evil. And it says, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. Now, the whole story of Hosea is redemption. And so we see here that God is saying, I have had, God is saying, I've had enough of this people. They're not worshiping me. They're not following after me. I will bring judgment upon them. They, I will love them no longer. Their princes are revolters. Their princes do not bring forth a godly lifestyle. It is very important that we get led by people who are godly. And this is the important thing for us in America. We have the opportunity to worship and allow God to be reached out. And in America, we get to pick our leaders. We need to be looking at our leaders and saying, do they follow God? Are they godly men and women? If not, don't vote for them. Find somebody else to vote for. Because if we keep voting in ungodly, revolting from God people, then our nation is lost. And neither party is good at what they're doing. So all we can do is look at the people and say, who is godly? Who is following God? And who should be running our nation? It says their princes are revolters. They are taking you the wrong way. Ephraim is smitten. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yea, that though they bring forth, yet will I slay even their beloved fruit of their womb. He says, Ephraim is following the wrong way. He says, they are going the wrong way. They are dried up. They are spiritually dried up. And God has said, because they are spiritually dried up, I'm going to physically dry them up and take away all that they have and seek after what they have. And goes, what little they do have, I'm going to strike dead and kill. My God will cast them away because they did not hearken unto him, and they shall be wanderers among the nations. This is what was going to happen to the northern kingdom. God said, you're going to be taken into captivity. And they are going to be taken into captivity by Assyria. And the Assyrians take and move them into the Assyrian Empire and away from their land. And this is the result of their disobedience. They think they're getting away with it. They think everything is going good. You know, God is blessing, they say. You know, all is good. You know, you, Hosea, you're telling us all these bad things are going to happen, but open your eyes and look at what's going on around you, Hosea. 
And Hosea is saying, God is going to bring judgment. He is going to send you to be wanderers among the Gentiles. And this is exactly what happened to Israel. And then a hundred years later, it is what happens to the, the southern kingdom when they're re rejecting God. God takes them into captivity into Babylon. After 70 years in Babylon, he lets them come back and reestablish their nation. And then during the Roman days in 70 AD, they rebel against the Romans and they get the major scattering where in 70 AD, the Jewish people are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And it was only in 1948 that they were brought back to make their nation all over again. And God says, you've wandered amongst the Gentiles. And now he's calling his people back. God still loves his people. He's got a plan for them. Don't ever get caught up in the idea that God does not have a plan for the Jews, that he's given up on them. He sent his son to them and they rejected him. So the Gentiles were reached out to for 2,000 years. But there is going to come a time when the church is raptured out of this world and God deals with the Jewish people again and gives them all that they desire in their nation. He's going to give them, allow them to have a temple back. And Jesus is going to come back and he's going to have the millennial kingdom where he reigns for a thousand years from Jerusalem and covers the entire world under his dominion. And Israel will be the center of all religion and governmental authority. And God will finally give them what they have been looking for all along, just as he promised that they would be the center of everything. And at the end of the thousand years, God will destroy the this world and create a new heaven and new earth and Jerusalem new Jerusalem will come down and, and settle down on this on this planet and God will rule in perfection for all of eternity and we don't know completely what all that's going to be but it'll be a wonderful time that God finally says Israel I love you your discipline is over and now it's time for you to come back to me and seek me so we're going to end here and just say, trust God in all that happens. Do not live in sin. Give the gospel message out to people. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for how much you love us. Lord, teach us to follow you in deeper and deeper truth. Help us to seek you, to repent of our sins, not fall into tradition and customs, and seek you in all that we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. 
If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.